Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. How you look when you go to camp. Uh, how you act on and off the court at camp. Understanding that, you know, people are always watching. Um, guys like Garrett would hold class sessions where we would go through rules. We would talk about plays. You know, he would have socials at his house. That's where, you know, I picked up and really understood the importance of genuinely being like a good person. Welcome back to the Crown Refs Podcast, the audio experience for basketball officials. I'm excited to welcome in Ernest Hamilton III, a uh, Division One official from Louisiana who lives now in Long Island. It's a pleasure uh, to connect with you, partner. How are you doing tonight? What's up, Polly D? Can I call you that on, on, on tape? It's cool. Polly D, that's my nickname for you. I do prefer Polly D. I've always been a big Polly D guy. <laughs> Now everything's good, man. Appreciate you. Like you said, it, it's been a minute. You know, I've been, you know, a fan of, of your work or whatever. So it's good. You know, we've worked together on the court before. So it's it's good to link up, man, on your on your show. I appreciate you. Yeah. Too bad we didn't get a game this season. I was looking forward to uh to getting back out there with you, but it's always fun when we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Always a good time. Yeah. How'd your season go? Never got a chance to speak to you about it. Man, you know, season went well. Um, you know, you always have high expectations for, you know, the amount of games and how far you think you should go and where you should go, right? But, you know, um, I was able to get games in postseason. You know, everyone's not able to do that. So uh, I took everything as a, as a blessing, right? I can always, you know, do more uh, self-accountability, right? Some things I can improve and get better to give me the next opportunity. But overall, man, no complaints. Season went well. I didn't get any of those nice, nasty emails, none of those nice, nasty phone calls from supervisors. I stayed off the radar, so I consider it a success for me, you know. How else do you judge if a season went well? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Everybody, you know, will ask you after a game, how'd your game go? And people either say it went well or, or it didn't go well. I'm, I'm of the mindset now. It's like if you're healthy enough to be on the court, you better say it went well. So I'm just curious to find out how you kind of uh, – you know, gauge what a good season is for you. Yeah, I think what you just said is, is an important piece, right? Um, I wasn't able to – I didn't miss any games due to, you know, any travel issues, any health issues, right? I stayed fairly healthy for the most part of the season. You know, I was able to pick up games, you know, when others were blocked uh, for weather, travel, whatever. Um, and, again, man, I just, just worked every game like it was it was a championship, bro. So, I, you know, when I, when I judge – you know, each year my, my goals for myself probably increase based on where I feel I sit, you know, um, with a different supervisor that I work for. So, um, of course, each year I set what I call achievable goals and then, like, my stretch goals, right? Um, so, from what I set from going to 2021 coming off of COVID year, I would definitely say it was a successful season for me based on the amount of games I had, based on me getting into additional conferences, right, going through camp season last summer. So, you know, my goal is to get into two additional conferences, regardless of what level D1, 2, or 3, I did that. Um, I was able to make the postseason again. Um, in two of my, my three divisions, I did that. So, again, I was healthy. Um, family is good. So, awesome. I consider it a success. Awesome, man. You know, it's funny. I never actually – I know we met in 2018 when you had moved here from down south, uh, but never really asked too much in detail about your background. So, I just want to take this opportunity – to hear kind of about your origin story with officiating. I know you're a 12 year official. So just take me through kind of why you got into it and then uh, how it progressed from there. 
Yeah, so um, originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right? Never thought, you know, probably all you guys up here laughing at me because I never thought being a Southern guy I'd be in Long Island, New York, right? Um, like enjoying it too, right? You know, different type of weather. Like this morning I woke up and we got snow on the ground. You know, at home in Louisiana, it's probably 71. And my people are wearing flip-flops and, you know, white T-shirts, right? So um, just in the South, man, um, you know, played basketball in high school. Um, you know, college went to Morehouse and Georgia Tech. And I tried, I actually tried out uh, my first time ever refereeing a basketball game high school was after my, during my senior year of college um, before I graduated. Um, so I did that, that spring, you know, and then ended up getting a job working with the railroad. I was traveling so much where I couldn't really referee. So I didn't really do much after uh, my one or two years doing JV in high school in Atlanta. And then when I moved back to Louisiana, uh, that's when I got back into it high school. And of course, going to a couple camps. You know, all it takes for me is someone to say, hey, man, you play ball. You look like you can ref, like one of those type compliments. And that kind of sort of went to my head. It was like, well, let me kind of take this seriously. So I just talk to different guys. They were understanding. I mean, trying to tell me, you know, there's some money to be made if you take this craft seriously. So I got my opportunity, my first college opportunity um, in 2013, Division Two in the Gulf South. Um, then I moved to, I was in Alexandria, Louisiana, I moved to New Orleans, um, then I got my first opportunity in Division One in New Orleans. Uh, Mike Wood actually was the first guy that hired me. Uh, Mike Wood in the Sun Belt in the Southern Conference and whatnot. That was 2015. So, you know, and I went to the camp really with, you know, not too high expectations just to go and just to work and kind of make a name for myself. And I can remember, I remember when I got the, the email and the phone call, I was eating lunch. I was working with uh, Nabisco in Virginia and I was eating lunch. And I got the email at Chick-fil-A. I literally ran out the store. I was engaged to my wife at the time, ran out the store, called my wife, told her I got a contract. Like, literally, grown man, went in the car, shed about three tears, and was like, okay, I can't do this. And then, like, two days later, you know, I got another email. I was like, damn. So that's what it was like. It's really happening. And it kind of sort of took it a little seriously then after that. And um, so went there. So I got Sunbelt Southern. That was 2015, 2016, I believe. Um, did that for two years, got to the MEAC when I moved to Virginia in 2018. Um, and then as they started to know, to do different things about Alliance or whatnot, um, you know, I got into the A-Sun and then I got into the MEAC and then, you know, went to Jack's, uh, Jack's, uh, camp, got into the NEC, got into the Ivy Patriot in 2019 and then this past year and got to the American East. So, you know, just, man, just, it was a grind. And I can remember probably no, no lie. I remember one summer. You know, people talk about camping, right? I think one time I went to nine camps mm. in a matter of, I don't know, eight weeks. And I can remember doing my tax. I'll never forget this. I'll tell a story. My wife even was surprised because she helps me with like my mileage and tracks everything. I want to say between like camp fees, hotels, rental cars, food, I think it was almost $9,000 I spent on nine camps. Right? So people talk about like camping. I mean, literally, I was at the southern camp. I had the Ivy Patriot Reading. I drove from South Carolina, Virginia, to camp that morning at 7:30. My wife drove while I slept from Virginia to to PA. Got to the meeting, got right on the floor like three hours later. You know, by that point I was drained. I can remember you know, my mentors and people saying, "Ernest, what's going on? Like you look like you sluggish." I'm like, "Bro, this camp eight. Like I ain't got nothing left. My leg is gone. I'm mentally shot." But you know, I didn't get in the Ivy picture that year, but the following year I did. So, man, it's just been a a, a good journey. Uh, one thing that, that I that I like to tell people when I talk about my story, you know, if you have a, a spouse, husband, wife, or whatever, they're like key. So 
whenever I wanted to pick up and leave, move, whether with my job, whether with, you know, refereeing or whatnot. I mean, she's always, you know, said, I'm going wherever you go. You know, I know this like your dream or whatever to move up. So, I mean, she's been a huge, huge supporter, Pete, um, of everything, right? Uh, between my wife and kids who, you know, there's one thing to come home or you get back to your phone after a game and you see your kid looking at the TV screen on ESPN3 pointing at dad, right? You're talking about motivation, you know. That's just like, um, I think you asked me, like, what well, motivated me? stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? It just is, you know, crazy. So get that. My dad, who's a basketball junkie, you know, I can be in an NAIA game. If I get a link, he's watching it. And he'll have a halftime report for me. He'll have an end-of-the-game report for me. Um, so, like, just having that good support. By, by the way, let me, man, let me just, sorry to cut you off. Just want to save everybody mm-hmm. watching. His dad is absolutely shredded. <laughs> shredded at 65, or I don't know how old he is. No, he's 73. He's, so he's, he's, got, he's got on 74. But, oh, um, God, what what phenomenal <laughs> But, no, nah, man, that, I mean, just between him, you know, and as we talk basketball, so he'll be like my – when I'm driving from long road trips, I give him a call and we'll talk. Get the kids up sleepy, keep me awake, you know, that type of stuff, man. And it's just been, you know, again, I've been blessed with opportunities, man. It's just been crazy. The, the more east and north I moved, the more opportunities I got. I don't know if that's a coincidence or what, um, but it just happened that way. It really, I mean, I went from one to two, then I went from like two to four, then like the four to six. The more, uh, you know, and I'm not, and I, you know, I'm not moving no, no further north or east. I can't take any more of this sub-zero temperature weather and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, man, that, that, that's pretty much been my journey, man. Just, you know, you know go out. I can remember, you know, that first, you know, when I got to Division Two in the Gulf side in 2013, you know, they told us right then and there before you left camp whether you was getting a shot or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I mean, that was cool right there. So, you know, it's been, it's been a struggle. It hasn't always been easy, man. I mean, you know, you have a lot of, you know, a lot of ups and downs, you know. I'm not here to act like everything has been peachy clean because, you know, I've gotten let go from a few conferences, you know, from for whatever reason. You know, I don't even ask. I always I always tell people before I go to point the finger, I always look at, I think self-accountability is huge in our game. You can always look at things you can do better, whether it was your mechanics weren't sharp enough, whether it was the way you look, whether it was, you know, the smaller things, getting your camp fees in on time. You don't want to, if the deadline is the 20th, you don't want to send your camp fee on the 19th. Uh, to shoot a text or email with, like, the tracking information, letting you know it's going to get, you know, stuff like that, you know. You never know whether some supervisors think about stuff like that, but I always try to be a step ahead so that way you don't put yourself in position to have your mind wondering if that was the reason you did or didn't get into, you know, a conference or whatnot or why you didn't get picked up. So, again, I, I've been blessed, man, you know, no complaints, just, just looking forward to what the future holds as I embark, embark on the big four zero this upcoming summer. So, you know. <laughs> Nice man, you look you look about thirty three. So <laughs> nutrition, your wellness, your uh, workout routine must be uh, up to par because you're uh, looking very young. Very interesting stuff. Um, a lot to digest. A couple things. I'll start like in reverse. You were talking about the hardest parts of officiating. Why don't you just talk a little bit about being let go? What was your mindset? Um, you know, bouncing back from it. How'd you kind of? process all that um you know it, it was frustrating right um because you know at some point you know when you get when you work in for certain supervisors it's like i'm not even you know you know when you've worked a whole bunch of games for, for you to even 
feel like you did anything either that good or that bad to even get let go. So sometimes, you know, um, it can get frustrating. You can, you know, even when you look in the mirror, you can always question why, like what happened, what did I do wrong? You know, you go back and go through film. But one thing that I've had to learn is, you know, um, only control what you can control. That's what I've kind of taught myself these last couple of years, right? Um, especially with things that happened like the pandemic with COVID, you know, that affected a bunch of people, um, you know, and I, and I try to use that mentality. Uh, but into this year, my mentality was, you know, no lie, just hashtag, just hit accept. So when I get the game, I'm not asking why, when, where, why I didn't get this other game. I'm hit accept. And I'm going to go work it like it's a championship game, right? You know, I'm not worried about why I didn't get this game or why he can put me on this. Just hit accept and let my work on the court do the, do the talking for me. Because at some point, you know, I, I, I'm, I truly believe an opportunity is going to come for me um, and I got to be ready. So whenever that opportunity is, don't know when, don't know who's going to be watching, don't know who's going to be looking, but I just got to be ready because some of us only get one opportunity. Some of us may not get a opportunity. So I just honestly believe that, you know, when that opportunity does knock, I got to be ready to open the door and, and knock it down. Talk a little bit more about camp season since that's one of our, our themes right now this time of year. Now you went to one summer, you went to nine camps, which is about as much as you can do. Really, you really showed about <laughs> Yeah, but you're showing that you're controlling your own path, that you're you're giving yourself the best, you know, um fighting chance at getting hired and making opportunities happen. So uh just talk about, you know, camp season and what are what were some of the keys for you and, and and what um, came out of that summer of nine camps? Um, so for camp season, I'll go back to my probably my thought process a few years ago, right, when I probably wasn't getting a couple of different conferences. So that year when when I was in, when I went to those nine, right, I was in transition moving from uh, Virginia to New York, if I'm not mistaken. So immediately I was like, nobody up north really knows me, can't put a name with a face. Or I didn't have anybody up north who can vouch for me and say, hey, you know, this guy can work or whatnot. Now, we all know how the supervisors talk, right? You can get connected and networked through them. But at the end of the day, people that put you in their conference, they still want to see you work. Um, so my thought process was just what you said. I'm going to afford myself every opportunity that I could to get into as many conferences as, as humanly possible, Right. You know, out of those nine, two, three, I had to go to because I was in those conferences. So six, I was trying to get into. Um, and man, it was it was it was just a grind, man. I like I can't even explain it because, like I said, those last two or three, I, you know, I was I was shot, like physically shot, not more, uh, kind of mentally too, but just physically shot. Being in a car, traveling, taking a car nap, getting up, trying to pay attention, trying to be engaged, but just like my my mind saying one thing, my body is like, man, you know. Um, but my mentality was worst case scenario, if I don't get picked up, at least I'll work my butt off to where when I come back refreshed and rejuvenated the following summer, they know who I am. They can follow me throughout this, this, the season. And then they can put a name with a face and then say, you know, it's always a good feeling to be like, oh, you're, when you go to camp, someone you don't know or somebody you don't know comes to you and like, oh, you're earnest, right? You live in such and such. I heard about you. I've seen you work. Um, where do you live? Who do you work for? Right. So when you already have a buzz generated and you have to don't have that, have to have that extra, you know, to generate a buzz for yourself that puts you that much more in a position 
to get picked up. And that's what the thought process I had. If I could go to a camp and someone else who I wasn't going to that camp for noticed my work or had heard about me for the name of the face, then I feel like I was already a leg up um, on, on, on the competition. And of course, we're competitive, right? You go to you go to camp for a job, not to blow all over the place when you're on the court or not to undermine your partners, right? Because you look at you and look at stuff like that too. But you were going to camp to to get a position, right? So some things I learned going to the the one day clinics when I was coming up, you know, always do the little things and camp. So when I when I go to camp and I work with my partners and for instance an example, um, and I see my partners they blow the whistle and their mechanics are okay and they don't project their voice. In my head, I'm like, I got my partner, not because I'm an outsider, but I know he's not projecting. This is what we get taught early, right? Use your voice. Be Chris. So whether I get all my calls right or have my calls right, I know from a look aesthetic standpoint, I'm going to snap my mechanics. I'm 35. Everyone can hear me. They're like, damn, who is that? Right? So the smaller things was always, what can I use as an edge to make me stand out? And I know they tell you that all the time in camp. It's cliche, but you do be surprised how much that stuff actually helps you to look better or be in a better position to get on or get in, in a conference. So it's always the little things I try to focus on, um, you know, and then one, and the, for me, it's always been a good partner, man, like on the court, off the court, you know, I'm Paul, you know, you follow me on my regular Instagram, you know, I am about my, my Friday stuff, right. You know, I, I did that for a while. Did you stop? Did you stop? So, so let me tell you, right, so for those that don't know, so what I did, just I don't even know where it came from. Me and my wife were just having a good day one Friday, and I went on live on IG, and just like every Friday, it was just a just a song, just to get people motivated, hyped up. And I would get so many hits, just like, man, I needed that, you know, because you never know what someone's going through, never know what someone's day is like, right? So, Paul, let me tell you how I transformed that. So I stopped it on my personal, but I did it at work. So now we have a platform at work to where I'm like the social media person, like every Friday now, I go on, I have a song for whatever reason, just to get people smiling in it. That's all I've grown up. My, my dad played ball, my dad coached, my mom played ball, my mom coached, taught in school system. So being a motivational person, inspiring people just to, you know, if you're a good person, my mom and dad taught me, good things will come back to you twofold. Treat people right, smile, things will come back to you. And that's the that's the motto that I live by. I always try to be a good person. I take it to the court. I always try to get be a good partner on and off the court. And I think, you know, you'll, you'll see the, the benefits reciprocated to you. I got to leave your uh, Instagram handle in the chat, in the chat um, for everybody listening. Ernest, uh, probably about a year ago, I don't know, a couple months ago, you started doing a, a, like a feel good Friday series on his way to work every Friday. And it was just, you know, like a one minute video or two minute video. And he would yep. pick a great throwback song. Every, every <laughs> week it would be like a blast from the past. Like, Oh, I haven't heard that song forever. And he would just be rapping it or singing it but just spe um, spreading just tremendously positive vibes and just very likable videos, fun videos to watch. So um, that definitely stood out for me as it was what, what type of yeah. guy you are and, and your spirit, you know? Appreciate you. Yeah, man. Um, so you did the nine camps. Now, a couple of those camps were Northern camps, right? Cause you were trying to break in. Were a lot of them. Correct. So a lot of them were Northern camps. Talk to me about that transition. A lot of people would fear being like a division one ref and then, or any, any level actually, and having to start all over, right? Not knowing if yeah. you're going to get hired, not knowing if you're going to be able to transfer conferences. Talk, talk about that transition. 
So that was the first time, uh, Paul, that I actually got let go, uh, right? Um, so being in the Southern, being in the Sun Belt, being in the Ace Sun, and then you know how stuff moves amongst supervisors. Sometimes supervisors lose contracts. Sometimes they get their contracts renewed. So, yes, um, living in Richmond, moving to New York, um, I had to do a lot of the smaller camp stuff just to make a name for myself. So when I was in Richmond, um, I did like the ODAC. Um, that's a D3 camp. Um, so I think that summer I went MEAC, I went ODAC, I went NEC, um, I went Sunbelt and Southern, I went SEC, I went Atlantic City, I went Ivy Patriot. That's seven. I'm missing two. Oh, I went to Curtis Shaw because I was still, I had been going to Curtis Shaw. That was, you know, for those that know, that's like the Southland Big 12. Uh, so that's eight, and I'm missing one. But yeah, man, it was it was just more of a, you know, and I can remember leaving the MEAC camp. I remember I, I, that's the first time I met Donnie Epley. Donnie Epley used to work in the MEAC. They were telling me, hey, you need to meet this guy. He got D3 stuff, you know, New Jersey, PA, um, Delaware. Literally, he was putting this stuff in his car, and I was like, hey, Donnie, by the way, I'm Ernest, by the way, someone told me to link up with you. Listen, I used to work for who, you know, this guy, this guy. He looked at me up and down. He was like, all right, I'm going to call him. I'll let you know. Like, this literally, you know, that, that was our first interaction or whatnot. And it was just more so, it was like a hope and a prayer kind of sort of, Paul, because I really didn't know. Right? I was in two or three Division ones. Now I'm leaving where I was getting comfortable, going to a place where no one had picked me up or no one knew who I was. Um, but thankfully, you know, after that first year transition and moving to New York, you know, even with Jack Sweeney, um, picked up late. By the time I reached out to him, he had already filled out all his, you know, his conference roster, all his games, but he was like, I'm going to call some people, you know, I'll, 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 I'll give you a shot. Any turn backs, right? That's how I got started with Jack Sweeney, um, you know, that type deal. So, you know, it was more of I had to temper my expectations, understanding that when I do those type of moves or going on that many camps, you know, um, it does give you more exposure, but at the same time, you know, it's just like with anything else. When you overcommit, sometimes you underdeliver. Um, would I ever advise anybody to go to nine camps? Absolutely not. Not the way things are now. I would never advise anybody to go to nine camps. Like, you know, but you don't have to now, right? A lot of with the, the way the, the way the consortiums and alliances are, you don't have to go to nine because you got six conferences at one place, right? So you get that in by you you scratch six. Six years ago, it wasn't like that. <laughs> you know that part. It wasn't like that. You almost had, you know, everybody had a camp. Uh, so I would not advise that because as much as you say you're going to give 100,000%, you know, every game in classroom, it's just tough. Because if you think about nine camps, the summer is only, you know, two and a half months long, like three months long, and then you right back into it. So you're literally in 10 week, you know, 10 weekends, 12 weekends, eight camps. That's, that's a bit crazy. So you really got no time off to even, like, give yourself a break. Um, and I, I'm going to go to a question you asked me. One thing I always do after the season, I give myself like a mental break. I'm not doing camps. I'm not doing rec ball. I'm not doing AAU ball. I'm not doing adult league ball. I'm not doing none of that. I'm going to sit back with my wife and kids, enjoy watching basketball, the NBA, give myself a mental break. Um, because I think we all need that mental reset, right? And then maybe after you know, about a month or so, you're right back into it. So um, it was challenging, man, um, monetarily too. You know, I mean, shifting schedules, you know, at that time, I, my wife was, you know, we were getting ready to have our second kid. So back-to-back -back kids in 18 and 19, 
Um, so a lot, a lot of different factors play into, you know, the decision to go to what camps or what not. Uh, but again, she was there the whole way, you know, whether she gave me the side eye or not, you know, I guess it's okay now because you're still rocking with me. So it's all good. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of refs in New York. Were you uh, nervous at all being a down South kid coming up to the, the Big Apple? Was I nervous? Uh, maybe not nervous. I was curious to see how coming from where I was, being a Division One ref, how I would, the the response I would get the first time I was in a D2 or D3 game and, you know, the questions, oh, okay, you knew this area, who you worked for, right? And I'm like, well, I'm in the Sun Belt or whatever, just to see the immediate responses, you know, the the facial expressions, the, you know, so I was just curious how, you know, Guys would take it not knowing who I was, but man, I could I could honestly say, and you're part of this crew too. You know all the you know all the New York, Long Island, New Jersey guys, man. You know have have all shown nothing but love, and you know I I've taken to you guys, and it's been it's been fun to work with. You know from all the things you do, from getting together to for the rules. You know when we talk about plays, uh, just everything, man. It, it, it it's, it's been a true blessing for, for, for you guys. So I, I definitely want to let you know, I appreciate you and all the other Long Island, New York guys uh, out this way, man. It, it's been an easy, y'all made the transition easy. Trust me, I wouldn't, like I've invited people to my crib, you know, from a referee standpoint, you know, for my wife, like for you to get, you know, to come to the house and be around our, you know, our kids and stuff, that means a lot. So when she understood how comfortable I was, it just made, it just makes everything easier, that much easier with that transition. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you have for people that are starting over kind of in any profession, but obviously for, for basketball officials, um, establishing a new place from a professional perspective, how are you building rapport in a new place like this? Um, you got to make yourself uncomfortable. Um, and I'm saying that mean it don't go completely out of the box, but you got to make yourself uncomfortable. So for me, networking was never my problem ever, right? Because again, you know, I am with people, I'm a passionate people person. So networking was never my problem. It was how do I adapt to how things are done where I'm going based on what I was accustomed to, right? So what do I need to do to adapt and fit in, but also make sure I remain 100% authentic Ernest Hamilton III? Um, so I would say, you know, don't adapt so much to the point to where you know, you're not even authentic with yourself to try to fit in, right? You know, and everything you hear, just take it with a grain of salt. Same thing when you go to camp, right? When in Rome, you know, you may go to this Big 12 camp and they tell you, stay sideline extended the whole time. We don't care, you know, we don't care what the other guys do in the other consortiums, you know, you, you hear that sometimes, right? Then you go to, you know, SEC camp. We want you to work the arc. And you're like, well, damn, they just told me to stay. All right, when in Rome, you know, it's just stuff like that, right? You do the same thing. Like you just adjust and adapt, you know. You know, at the end of the day, you know, when you want to start, moving up, you know, you do what the supervisor for that conference you're trying to get in tells you to do. And then, you know, again, I've always put myself out there, take a chance. Fellas, y'all want to do this? Yeah, let's, let's go link up. Y'all want to come to the crib, want to watch a game? You know, I got crawfish. We, we crawfish boy. I'm putting the south. How many of y'all eat crawfish? Y'all want to come to the house? You know what I'm saying? I like, you know, it's, it's like, hey, I don't, you know, it's stuff like that. It's the camaraderie. It's always been about the camaraderie for me, man. And once you get that, then people easily adapt you. So now when you get on the court, now you got other people vouching for you to where you don't have to do that. Now, what's the biggest way to get your name out there? You know this having this own business. Word of mouth. People start talking all positive, all positive stuff. 
then everything else, you know, you should be easily uh, adaptable. That's it's easy to work. Appreciate that. You, you said one thing when you were talking about your journey uh, after Mike Wood hired you in 2013, and then you got that email uh, at Chick-fil-A, but you said um, that's kind of what made you take it seriously. You weren't all in up to that point. Yeah, man. Cause I, I really didn't know. Right. And, you know, just doing high school started in 2011, you know, I was moving up a schedule in high school, whatever. Um, but it's something I don't, like I said, I don't know what changed. I don't know what clicked, but when I was in new Orleans and had went to a couple local camps and of course, someone's you ever thought about trying college. And I was like, not really. It was more of a, you know, my job was flexible. I had time. I enjoyed a game of basketball. Um, you know, I was at home. I was comfortable. And then when I got that shot, you know, like I said, when I got in 2013, when I got hired in the Gold, Gold South was Division Two, 2013. And then Wood, and then Wood was 2016. So when I got that D2 opportunity, it was like, so someone really believes in me more than I believe in myself on the court. It was like, okay, maybe I, now I can make a name for myself. So that's when I started understanding you know, the fitness is important. The way you look is important. The way you present yourself is important. It wasn't just about making the right calls. It was about how do you make the right calls? How do you have the rapport with the coaches? How do you deal with players? How do you get in uncomfortable, how do you deal in uncomfortable situations, right? And after two or three years of that, D2, and then when I got that call from Wood, it was like, damn, so okay. So I got this guy two years ago in his camp. Now he picked me up too? All right, so now let's, let's, let's make a name for myself. What can I do to continue to, you know, build my brand on the referee, on the referee side and just add it, take a little bit, right, from everyone. Just take a little bit. And, yeah, that's probably, honestly, when I took it seriously, um, funny story, probably the most years I've taken it, no lie, Paul, my first Division One game uh, was three days before I got married in Atlanta. Never forget this. Um, I worked with Tony Green, December 14th, 2016. I was getting married December 17th, 2016, in Atlanta. I don't know if it was God, how I got coincidence my first game being in Atlanta, knowing I was getting married. I didn't tell the supervisors that, but, and we get into the locker room, and never like into the locker room, so I'm probably like this, right? Kind of sort of real stubby. I know you got to cut all it. You, you know how we got to have it. I'm taking pictures, right? So I hit Tony up in the locker room, Yo, T, like, listen, listen, look, man, I can't have a bald face to get married, bro. Like, I need to take pictures. Tony laughed, just like you laughed, Paul, and was like, young blood, or whatever you said, young blood, this little bit, that ain't gonna hurt. Is your first one? Yeah, I said, yeah. He's like, it ain't gonna hurt nothing. So he allowed me to keep like this, so I had like a minor, 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 like a little, little. Yo, T, he allowed me to throw the ball up. Um, You know, her mom, my mother-in-law surprised me at the game at Georgia State, Georgia State, Alabama, and I'll never forget it. Man, that was my first game. So it was just stuff like that, right? And then, you know, imagine a wedding present and um, you get that check and you sort of check, you know, hey, baby, this is what. So then my wife was like, oh, this is why you be going to camp? So what are the camps you need to go to every summer? This is what the reward is for y'all? Like, literally, so, that, so that's how it trickle, right? You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. So, yeah, man, honestly, that, that, that wood hiring, you know, you know, going to those games, that first game, you know, and just, again, seeing the, what they call the brotherhood of fraternity among referees, you know, um, it, it just, that was a motivating factor for me to go ahead and pursue, pursue refereeing real serious. What are some of the differences from your observation between uh, division two and then division one? What jumps out at you? 
good one. Um, from a player standpoint, the level of physicality, um, I would say is the biggest difference between one, two, and three, um, especially two. Uh, they have some Division two schools who are really, really, really good and can probably compete in some Division one conferences, but I think the level of physicality is the biggest difference. Um, skill set maybe next, right? Um, I don't, I don't think from a district quorum coaches there's a lot different because you got some Division three and Division two coaches who think they're, you know, Coach K. Um, so you got to deal with them appropriately. I mean, you had them, you know, that, you know, I don't have to go no names out here in, in Long Island and you know, the coaches that when you see them on a the schedule, how you have to deal with them appropriately. So I just think from a player standpoint, man, it puts you in not necessarily in a box, but you have to, in certain games, you're always making a decision every play, depending on what division two conference or division one conference you're in. Right. Uh, on a division one level, honestly, the players play and you deal with coaches off ball stuff, bench decorum. For the most part, the kids are very skilled enough to where some conferences you don't have to make a decision a decision almost every single play. But I think in the lower level, you know, because they're not as skilled, the game is not as smooth in some areas, you know, you have to always be on your toes, always be ready to make a decision, always be anticipating what's going to happen in the next play. And that's, you know, physicality, right? So something I may let go in a Division One game, I may not be able to let go in a Division Two game because those kids may not be able to play through certain contacts. So now I'm more particular on marginal versus illegal when it comes to contact, right? I already have that different mindset. Um, so I think that's the difference when you move between one, two, and three, the physicality, some of the skill set, and then how you deal with the coaches. Appreciate that. Very insightful. We have a question from Shiloh, who is from North Dakota. That's a long drive, Louisiana and North Dakota, huh? You ain't got to worry about Ernest Hamilton III making that drive, but what's up, <laughs> Mr. North Dakota? Uh, Shiloh, you can ask it. Go ahead. Yeah, here, Ernest. Uh, what's up? My question was, who was your mentors and how important were they in your development going from place to place? Yeah, definitely, definitely a good question. Uh, um, so one of the guys that, the two guys who actually knew each other, I didn't know that. Um, I had two guys, one guy's from New Orleans, a guy named Mitch Irvin. Um, he's currently in the uh, NBA now. Um, and uh, a good friend of mine, a good friend of his, uh, guy named Garrett Shannon. Um, so when I moved to to Richmond, uh, these are two guys who pretty much showed me the ropes and was teaching me some of the little things that you know, I didn't know, I didn't understand just about refereeing in general um, from, you know, how you look when you go to camp, uh, how you act on and off the court at camp, understanding that, you know, people are always watching right? Um, guys like Garrick would hold class sessions where we would go through rules. We would talk about plays. You know, he would have socials at his house. That's where, you know, I picked up and really understood the importance of genuinely being like a good person. You know, you may hear some clinicians, you may hear some camp supervisors um, talk that, uh, but that's when, you know, it really hit home about being a good person. 
always understanding that they're watching everything that you do, even when you don't think they're watching. So they, they kind of sort of showed me the ropes, being that I wasn't from Virginia. I had never even been in Virginia before, New York before. And they, by having those guys as mentors, they allowed me to connect with, you know, other um, officials that were in the area, you know, help me. Do you think you need to go to this camp? Okay, give me your pros and cons of why you should you go, why shouldn't you go? You know, what are your goals, right? I learned, you know, through those guys, the same way we build like our uh, our vision boards, you know, at the beginning of the year, you can do something similar for refereeing, right? What are your top three goals? What are you trying to achieve? I know Paul asked the question, what consider your season success, you know? And I always set goals, right? You know, I can tell you, um, you know, one of my goals, honestly, five years ago, by the age of 40, I wanted to get into a power five. It hasn't happened yet. Um, would I consider that a failure? Maybe not, but that was one of my stretch goals because as the way the it works, you know, the consortiums and the alliance, I knew it was tough, right? I had to be on a fast track, but that doesn't mean, you know, they'd knock me down, right? So when I have the reason, you know, those guys have been influential to me, when I need to vent, when I don't understand, or, you know, when I have to have a question answered that, puts me at ease. Those are probably the one or two guys that I call because they've gone through it too as well, just maybe on a on a different uh, scope or scale. So they can, you know, ease my mind, understand that sometimes it's not me controlling what you control. You know, those are the little tidbits that they taught me to help me along my way. And so I was definitely best to have two, those two guys in my corner. You know, one of the things we focus on here and one of the big pillars is just being a great, great partner, as you said, you know, on and off the court, online, offline, right? Um, I consider every official, uh, like basically in America, my partner. I may not work with 97% of them. But <laughs> like if you're a ref, then I consider you my partner. I got your back. And I think we need more of that. Um in what ways, you know, do you show or, or can you help us, you know, become a better partner both on and off the court? Um, so I think a lot of stuff is just um, like if you have it, for the most part, especially off the court, Paul, it's just like in, intrinsically in you. Like, for instance, if I know, you know, I'm going to a game and someone's in the area, is there a place where you know, we can we can meet up and get ride together, cut down on gas costs. If if I know it's gonna be a long trip and we flying in together, um, you know, hey, you got a better hookup than I got on in a hotel, like what's your rate? You know what I'm saying? Just understanding, you know, stuff like that. Um, because for me, what I've learned probably more so this year than any other year, is when you get to a game or you see a game on your schedule and you work with individuals that you're comfortable with, it makes everything else that much smoother, right? Um, you know. You know, man, I like me and you were together. Okay, I know Paul gonna have I know he's a, a stickler for getting everything in that corner on that that blind spot he's lead. I know he's gonna get there. So I I may not help you know, stuff like that makes me more comfortable where I'm not having to go, you know, in areas I shouldn't be looking, right? On the court, right? When you're comfortable with people, man, it just makes everything that much more smoother. So calling checking up on, you know, I try to be an over communicator pre game leading up to the game. Hey, I'm coming from this spot. My plan lane's here. If I'm in traffic, if I'm doing this, I just be over oh, so that way. The more you avoid any type of surprises, I think it makes everything, you know, that much easier to deal with, work with. Um, you know, and then at post game, right? Send clips, send plays. What you got on this play? What do you think you would have had? Do you think about positioning? Never criticizing, right? But giving that, that constructive feedback, 
only to help each other get better. And I think when you do it enough times, when people see you on your on your schedule, they're like, damn, that's earnest. I know what he's coming with today. We're going to be cool. And again, at the end of the day, we always, when I do my pregames, it's always about the last thing I always say is just make sure we have fun. Um, I think in this profession, you can be, you know, so uptight and want to be so pure so much that you forget that it's fun, that you're blessed to be able to have the opportunity to go on the court. So always remember to, you know, smile, have fun. Because a lot of times when you're on the court and things get tense, you know, if you're tense with them or you, you know, our job is to de-escalate. But, I mean, we're emotional people too. So there are times when, you know, you've been talking to a kid, he just don't listen and you're ready to, like, tee him up and, you you know, in your head you want to toss him. But does that help or hurt the game? Like, sometimes it go with a cracker joke, you know, Bro, you okay? Like, you went out to the club last night? Like, why are you over emotional? Like, you go, like, I've used all kind of stuff. Like, all kind of stuff. Just to, and you get a laugh out of them. And now that's their captain, their star, their star player. Now everybody else feeds up their energy. You know, it's just like being at work. If your boss works helter-skelter, right, that triggers down to the people he that work under him. Because everyone feels, oh, damn, he got to, I got to feel like I'm working like a chicken with my head cut off because he don't think I have a sense of urgency because I'm not running around crazy like him. But, you know, you know, when you're when you're here the whole time, man. You know, your, your partner see that. You know, you get those compliments like, like, damn, like I ain't see you like really tripping today. I was like, nah, man, it's good. Like, go to coach, talk to him, give him, go back. You know, so it's just being even keel, man. Just like I said, being a good. Don't throw your teammates under the bus. You know, your partners under the bus. I think that's one of the biggest things that we do. That I think among the referee community that you know we probably don't speak enough about. But throwing your, you know, don't. Don't do that. Like, it doesn't hurt anybody to, to hear three months later. Well, you know, you know, you talk to a coach at camp, be like, damn, I remember that call. Your partner said that was your call. you like, damn, it was? He said that? Like, it's so me that I know you talk about that on your cat, on your podcast. I think you talk about that like once a month about things to say to coaches when they try to get us in the bind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just stuff like that, man. So when, when you come back and you hear, like, oh, Ernest, you told the coach that? I was like, yeah, I told him that because, you know, we're together. So, you know, it's just stuff like that, man. Just little things, little things you learn, but you learn those stuff. But you don't have to learn that, you know, being your first or second year fishing. That's stuff you pick up over time, seeing plays, being in situations, knowing how to handle coaches, you know, knowing how to deal with things that come up last minute that may throw you off. Because, you know, I got a wife and kid. I go to a game and my wife tell me five o'clock for seven o'clock game, I got to go to the hospital with my kid ticket. It's like, you may be immediately flustered. All that other shit goes out the window because now I'm worried about my family. So what do I have to do, you know, if I'm a good partner, a good teammate, listen, I may tell my my guys, listen, I'm here with y'all. Just give me a second. Let me work my stuff out. You know what I'm saying? So they understand, all right, I might have to let Ernest get into the flow first. So it's different things like that, man. When you're personable, uh, you like yourself to be a human being. And, you know, I'm not coming to no game, Paul, stone face, mad at the world, upset, acting like, you know, I'm, I own this gym, you know, because then everyone picks up on that. So, Again, it's just about just being a, a, a good a good partner, like you said, the other day, a good person. You know, enjoying what you do, having fun with it. Yeah, you're hitting it right on the head. You know, mindset and having a great attitude comes way before block charge plays and and talking about coaches and positioning and mechanics. So, you know, how you uh, enter the gym, you know, your your mental state, your emotional state is is most important. One thing I noticed about you yep. working with you is how smooth and how calm and poised you seem to be very even keel on the court i know one of the probably a lot of the officials i speak to one of the things they're trying to improve on the most is just slowing down is being able to have that poise 
during this emotional contest that we're all officiating. So what tips would you have for everybody listening on just kind of slowing down and um, staying poised in the moment? Um, so just on the court, one thing I started doing probably two summers ago, uh, whenever I was doing games when I wasn't at camp, um, just from an officiating standpoint, I tried no lanyard. Um, some people can do it. Some people can't. I can admit I've dropped the whistle many a days, many a nights refereeing, right, uh, with no lanyard. But especially on those hard plays or the crashes where we have, like, block charges, right? Because the first thing we want to do, what is we want to sell it, right, Paul? So the first thing I do when I got no lanyard, boop, block, whistle goes flying. God damn, I got to do 10 push-ups. Like, literally, like, that's what was my thing. Anytime I got the whistle, do make sure I keep a count, right? So going no lanyard, not trying to show off, like, you know, uh, but just going away, it slows you down. Blow, I can't blow it in my mouth. I'm going to hold it. Now I'm going to post. Now I'm going to get my signal. Now I'm going, you know, this way. Now I can report, take it out my, out, my, out my mouth, right? So doing that hundreds of times over the summertime, now when I get to a lanyard, you ain't got to worry about me, you know, having a blog because I know I'm going here first, right? So just stuff like that. So that's one thing. Um, and then one thing I also do as far as slowing down, when I go and I work the different little tournaments or AU or whatever, just a lot of times, you know, I go to work on my mechanics. I go with people. I try to get maybe two or three or four of us that I know who are all trying to improve, and I just go to the, the tournaments to make money. So we're all on the same page. What are we going to work on? So slowing down can be one. Um, if I know I struggled the past season at lead, closing down, rotating, uh, opening up, I work on positioning. So the things that I self-evaluate throughout the year uh, from a slowing down sample, from a mechanical sample, that's what I work on, you know, in in, in like the, in the post-camp season or when I go to pre-camp. Now, another thing I do when I slow down, self-talk, right? I, I, I've learned now, I used to always, always want to be fast. Real quick, hurry up, report, hurry up, you know, that's when you miss the, the dirty stuff. That's when you miss the chicken wing. That's when you miss the off-the-ball stuff, right? So from a slowing down standpoint, other things I do is, you know, blow the whistle, take my time. I'll tell you who I learned this from, Keith Kimball, one of the smoothest referees in college basketball, right? He is, when I look at watch college basketball, he is somebody I watch from a slowing down mechanical standpoint. And he literally taught me probably about three, four years ago at the Big 12 camp, uh, Curtis Shaw, you know, once you blow the whistle, all eyes are on you. Now it's your show. Now it's your time to shine. So what, what you in a rush for? Blow the whistle, you know, five, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005, right? Mm-hmm. So like self-talk, right? And you'd be amazed to see it on camera. If I looked at myself just three years ago to compare to where I am now from a slowing down standpoint, I probably don't lead a scene of crime no more, right? You know, I was taught, you know, in the, um, you know, a lot of times, when we have hard fouls, or we have dirty plays, for whatever reason, we go to the person that committed the act instead of going to the person that got, you know, chicken winged or undercut or whatever, right? You know, stuff like that. You know, don't be so quick to report and forget everything that's going on. Now you leave your partners in the bind, and now we got to go to the monitor. Protection looks bad. You don't know who filed who. So just in general, I think a, a lot of it, too, Paul, it just 
you gotta you gotta get in those situations. Some things you won't know how to do unless you be in those situations and kind of mess them up to understand. I'll never do that again. Literally, that's how you slow down too. You make a mistake, y'all talk about it, be honest with each other, be open to feedback. Okay, I know where I messed up. I'll never do that again. Literally. So you know, those are the couple of things that I just take with me whenever I go different places to just slow down. But I, to your point, I try to pride myself on being slow and smooth. Because again, I, you know, I'm not a big guy, Paul, you know, tall, lanky or whatever. So when we talk about like presence, I have to use my voice. I have to use, cause I, I don't, I don't come with an overbearing presence, but if I could just, you know, call and smooth, boom, you know, 35, you know, hold, you know, out of bounds, you know, everything is just real smooth. And then, you know, coaches be like, oh damn, you done did this before. And, you know, then you joke with them. Yeah, once or twice, you know, I'm coming up, you know, stuff like that. Like Wagner's coach, I love him to death. He's so funny. He tried to he talk to you, uh, having a good time. He said his star player one game, and hey, Ernest, number four, got four fouls. All right. I said, all right, coach, make sure he don't fall out and get his fifth one. <laughs> well played. And he looks at me. He looks at me. He was like, man, I ain't fooling with you no more, man. Go ahead. And literally, like, let me alone like the rest of the game. Like, what he wanted me to say? Like, what you want, what do you want me to say? I'm not going to call a foul. I'm like, tell him don't fall out then. You know, it's just stuff like that, man. Again, that's that's just you know my personality. I'm a I'm a not a clown, but I like to have a good time, man. So some of that stuff comes easy. So you know, it's just when I mean, you be just seeing plays, dealing with certain situations. It's just that's that's the stuff to me. When you ask me what's fun, that's the best fun. How can I be quick with it so he can forget about what I say, but remember to where he leaves me the hell alone, just so I can go back down the court and have him think about something else that happened. That'd be my mentality. Get in, get out, get him thinking about something completely different or have him confused. By the time he realizes what I said, the play is gone. Now he has to worry about calling the defense, calling the offense or whatever, and he done forgot about that. That's a perfect response. You know, if you have the um, comfort level and the confidence level to deliver humor in the right spots, it can be very effective. You know, people kind of underestimate that. But if you can give like a witty, funny effective response because it was a very effective effective response you know like all right don't foul out right you're being 100 <laughs> transparent with them but you you delivered it in a funny way which in a, in a personable way too um it's funny i was thinking about the lanyard today um because there's such a negative connotation with non-pro officials that wear no land or don't wear a lanyard like in high school games and college games and even i frowned upon it for years but I was thinking about it today. I'm like, it's so irrelevant. It's like a part of the uniform. It's like yeah. me criticizing somebody for wearing Reeboks instead of Nikes. It's like, that's what they prefer because <laughs> that's what's going to give them the best product. You know, right? Isn't there such a negative kind of social uh, thing with, with the lanyards or no lanyards? Yeah. So I was probably just like you. It was like, I'd go to a camp or not a camp, that's like games or whatever. And I see guys, you know, no lanyards in immediately right wrong and different years ago i'd be like oh look at this guy so he 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 a nba guy he a nba guy he ain't wearing no late like literally automatic judgment you know back then right he might have been thinking then what i'm thinking now like shit i'm just trying to use a lane just to slow down right Boop, so i don't you know so i get it now but back then i probably a thousand percent wrong judging oh this guy thinking you know now now instead of me worrying about my game where he from or who he worked for they let them use like just all the wrong things you could think about, right? Like why do you got you know, no lane, not understanding he may be working on something that he knows he has to slow down or just he wants to be more crisp, 
you know, stuff like that. So I don't, I don't know where the negative connotation came from, but I, I was, I agree with you for whatever reason it did carry, you know, carry that negative connotation for whatever reason, but I do it. I can tell you, I think it's a great way, you know, to, to slow yourself down. Um, because what will happen is you spit that whistle out enough. Now the coaches and the players like, man, Rip, like you all right. Like why you keep dropping the whistle? So now you always like a feeling embarrassed. Okay, now I gotta really check myself. It's just now it's tweet thirty whatever. Clear thirty. I feel I work on thirty five all the time. You see, I do thirty five often. But um, <laughs> um, but yeah. So just 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 for whatever reason, I don't know why how that came about. But yes, I agree, Paul. For whatever reason, it does carry negative connotation. Well, if you're gonna go no lanyard, you better be. Um a person that doesn't drop it anymore. Like you got your reps in and like rec ball and you feel comfortable enough to go no lanyard. Cause if you don't practice, you're definitely dropping it. Oh, that's not a, there's no way you can tell me you go from a land to no lanyard and be like, yeah, I'm gonna be good. Like it doesn't have, it doesn't happen that way. Like I went no lanyard twice this year, but it was at schools that we had to wear masks. So my mask was so like tight on me. It didn't matter. I could, blow it, it can spit out, it's going to stay on my chin, right? So, yeah, it's easy. Like, that was easy. Since we're on the subject of, like, stigma, what do you think about the future of facial hair and tattoos? Can officials get hired on the higher levels with tattoos and facial hair? Oh, goodness. Hold on. I feel like you asked me a tough question. Now, you should have asked these in the first half an hour, bro. Um... I do not think facial hair will ever, I think facial hair will be considered more okay before tattoos would. Yeah. Um, I think it would take someone, 316 Elite Eight Final Four official, to ref one of those games with like a full arm sleeve. <laughs> before <laughs> you know do some type of reverie culture change like AI did for basketball when he came with the cornrows and and tats and all that right of course not to that extent but I think it would take more than just one official more more than one high ranking official to do that before it became even slightly acceptable. I still don't think it would be accepted. I still think that referee or those couple of referees who were the trendsetters will probably carry a negative connotation or probably get frowned upon. Um, but I saw women's officials this year that had cornrows and a full a full beard um, in a Division One game. So, again, I don't know how it is on the men's versus the women's side, but I, me and my partner rode in together. And the first thing we did, we go in and watch a women's game before us. You know, we were a little early, and we walked out. He had a, he had the two. I mean, he had, I mean, he had the two thousand two, two thousand one Allen Iverson MVP cornrows in his head, <laughs> like the straight, like the straight back was like the like bam bam like the like the Kawhi's right now. That's what he had in his head. And I looked at him. He looked at me. And I was like, oh, and we laughed. Like, oh, this is what they doing on the women's side now? When can I get my goatee? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know. Um, so we, we, we just laughed, you know, he came in the locker room, you know, and we just laughed and we was like, all right. Um, so I, I, you know, facial hair, maybe I can see it. Um, tattoos right now, you know, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I could be wrong. 
I don't have any tats, so it ain't got no problem. Mm-hmm. My goatee doesn't grow, so there ain't never gonna be no problem with me. Um, but you know, and I, I referee with guys. I'm sure you have that do have tattoos, and I, to me, it's just a hassle because you see them putting the makeup on and getting the, you know, what I'm saying all, you know, and not get some of their shirts. It's just like, man. So you know, I think as we grow, as the game grows, um, you would hope at some point that wouldn't be allowed. But again, you got. It all depends on who's running the show. If you get younger guys, our generational guys that start to get some of these, you know, roles as we get older and we start to phase out, maybe they change the narrative. Like just because I got a tattoo doesn't mean I, I'm not professional, right? Maybe the corporate nine to five mentality does carry over to the referee side, maybe. Um, but where we are right now, that's, that's like me going to SEC camp and I'm tatted up. And then, you know, I got my whole name, my family tree on my left arm. They don't care about that. They already, they didn't already X me out before I even blew my first whistle. Right or wrong? It's funny, though. It's like we're, we're uh, officiating a game where most, a lot of the players have tattoos and coaches have tattoos. And, you know, like to be a progressive thinker and the way this is evolving, you would think this not even an issue in the future because like you could ref you could ref like we have a kid brandon in our in our mentor group who uh you know he served our country you know he was in the military it's like he can have tattoos in the military but he's got to put all this makeup on for his college season um and i was telling him you know you never you never know uh, you, you could be the first one to break through it's just a just an interesting uh conversation and yeah. of like the evolution of officiating and what's acceptable, what is professional, because at the end of the day, I think it's subjective. So, uh, but that was, that was interesting. Um, you mentioned your pregame. Yeah. I just want to hear, you know, not with, without going down the NCA men specific uh, route, just talk about some things, because <laughs> uh, we want to make it all inclusive. Just talk about some things that you mentioned in your pregame to your partners when you're uh, the R. Um, so when I'm the R, um, to your point, you know, you have some guys who, um, you know, they have a, a full sheet of everything we got to go over, right? You know, uh, I used to do that when I was nervous and not comfortable, right? My first R game, um, with God, I didn't know in a D3, you know, I had a sheet, you know, I was in the rule book, you know, using the, what you're supposed to talk about, what we're looking for, what are the points of emphasis? You know, I had one of the older cats come to me after the game or call me on my way home was like, young blood, you can rest like, you got to show, like, you coming in with that eight by eight and a half by 11 on both sides and all these bullet points. Like, you don't have to tell me. I've been doing this one. You don't have to tell me, you know, 10 one four, uh, wash the hands, make sure you do it. You don't have to tell me that. To me, he said to him, that showed that I wasn't confident. He was like, when you're the R, you want to demonstrate and exude that confidence. So the first thing I do when I get in the, uh, in the locker room with the R, you know, we probably don't even talk about, we probably don't even talk basketball for the first 15, 20 minutes. I want to just, everything was good. Had a good day. Wiping kids good. If I don't know you like that, you know, I don't get too personal, but if you offer, you know, sometimes conversation just flows. Right. Um, and I typically try to be the first person to start the, you know, let's go ahead and start like getting changed, dress ready. You know, that's ideal. So then, okay. So now we're starting to get into basketball mode. And then once we start talking hoops, you know, the first thing typically, Maybe not the first thing, but nine times out of ten, what I always say is, listen, you know, whether I work with you or not, you're here for a reason, which means you can work. 
So I'm not going to go into all the rules. All What I'm going to tell you is you control your third. I control mine. He control his. He or she control his. And we're going to work great as a crew, right? Um, make sure our crew dynamics are tight. Uh, make sure we over-communicate. Let's make sure we don't let any of the, the small things bite us. You know, make sure, worst case scenario, make sure we don't kick any rules, right? Don't come back in at halftime. And that's like me telling you, Paul, hey, man, you know what? I think on that play, you probably should have had a, it was a goal tip, but I just forgot. Like, don't tell me that. We missed it. We just missed it. Don't come back and tell me what you should have had. Like, let me know, right? Because it doesn't, doesn't no good, right? So I talk about stuff like that, you know? And then maybe I spend a minute, a couple of minutes on the points of emphasis. We talk about if we had any crazy plays throughout the year, any awkward plays throughout the year. So that way, if we did have them, you know, we can avoid making mistakes. Um, and again, I always end it with, Paul, make sure we go out and we have fun, right? Control, we control, you know, what we don't want is to ever let coaches, players, anybody show us up, you know, I always tell people, I don't know your level of tolerance with players and coaches. What I do know is once I see a coach go beyond across that line, I will address it. You know, I'm going to give you the opportunity to address it, but if I feel like it's not been addressed, then I will step up and be like, hey, you know, some coach, some supervisors want the stop sign. Sometimes it's not warranted, but just make sure, you know, we never let a coach or player, you know, show us up. Um, as long as they get to the game, we good. And then let's go out and have some fun. Look out for one another and let's toss it up. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing that. Adrian. I hope your arm isn't sore. I hope your hand wasn't up that long. But, uh, <laughs> you can unmute. And Carmela, way to be a good partner and have her back. Uh, Adrian, I want to unmute and ask you Ernest a question. <laughs> I appreciate that, Carmela. Thanks for that, uh, Paul. No, I'm all good. My arm's not tired. Thankfully, it's a Zoom hand, so I'm good. <laughs> um, so Ernest, I have a question for you. I appreciate you being here and taking the time to talk with us, by the way. Um, yep, so no my question is, um, is dealing with, uh, assigners and observers, um, that they call, they come and check your games out. Sometimes the, the, uh, assigners and the observers have preferences and sometimes they have different personalities and different things that may, I guess, kind of, uh, may create kind of an obstacle or, or a barrier as far as building relationship goes. So just curious to know how you handle those situations. And if you had those situations, maybe give us an example of how you've dealt with them, not necessarily giving out names, but just kind of helping us get some guidance on how to deal with those types of situations. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, uh, definitely a good question. So I think over time you learn, um, what certain assigners and what certain observers who are on your games are looking for. Um, and so it was, I don't know if you had been on a call yet, but I think I talked to Paul earlier, like when in Rome, right? So if you know I'm going to this conference game, I know what this assigner is looking for. Um, I may err on the side of caution to doing things more by the book, per the way he want, he or she wants it versus, um, you know, assigner A or observer A versus observer B. Now, and I, you, you ask for example, I'll give you a perfect example. I was at a game earlier this year where I was with, I would say two, 
we call it, we, the term we just call them two heavies in Division One, right? Um, meaning solid D one guys probably work um, Power Five conferences, and I was the not the rookie, but I was the 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 young guy out of the crew, um, and I had uh, an observer there who I hadn't heard of before, had never seen before, right? So I got my observation back, NCAA observation back, um, and it was good. It wasn't it wasn't bad at all. But in a in a post game in the locker room, Paul, the weirdest thing, he told me, he was like, yeah, um, you know, just you just you know you're, you're kind of quiet, you're kind of laid back, too much. Um, I need you to have some swag. So I looked around in my head. If I'm like, are you talking to me like on the court like? So I didn't say it, but I, <laughs> in my head, I was, you know, you gotta, you gotta, okay, all right, you know, all right, okay, I got you, I got. You. He was like, yeah, have a, have a little swag or whatever, and I was like, okay, I got it. Now, mind you, you know, what do they tell us, Paul? You know, in camp and everywhere else, y'all, you know, make sure you're by the book, mechanically sound, make sure everything is, you know, get in your casebook, get in your mechanics book. And I got my partners, and it's fun. I got my partners there, you know. They scored it from the timeline, you know, coming through swinging, you know, not posting. I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to just be popping in. And I got told, get a little bit more swag, get a little. So I think with everything, uh, Adriana, I think, you know, it is more of a winning wrong, but you just adjust, right? Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I think you can make or any of us can make as younger officials, uh, you don't ever want to be that that yeah but referee right you don't want to have someone tell you hey i i saw you on this play you probably need to step down you probably could have got a better angle you know get a little bit more swag get a little more pep you know a little bit more robotic we want to see people who are athletic and fluid and then the first thing is out of your mouth is well yeah but on this play i saw well yeah but i so the minute you get labeled at that as that like it's hard to break that perception because that travels with you. Because what happens is when you're on games and that travels with you through the assigning secretary, on the assigning supervisors, through the observers, through partners, or whatever, they may crack a joke, but that means they've heard that, okay, you're that yeah, but referee. That means for everything someone tells you, it's always a yeah, but, right? And it's hard to build positive relationships doing that type of stuff. So you just, not necessarily play the game, Adriana, but you just take everything in. Even if you know some of the things that people may be telling you, you like in your head, you was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm sitting here listening, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to listen with a smile because I don't want him to know that I don't agree with anything he's saying, but okay, I got you. All right, cool. And with a grain of salt, in one and out the other, it's like a filter. You filter in, you take in the good, and whatever you don't want to take with you to improve your game, you throw it, in the, throw it away and keep moving. Right. Uh, one of the things that I've learned, Adriana, is when you get those, you know, when you get those uh, reports, those game reports uh, from whether it's an observer, whether it's an assigner, think about how many games and how many plays and how many people they observe all year long. You know, so a lot of the stuff probably runs together. He might have told me the same thing he told Paul, the same thing he might have told Carmela the night before, then he might have told Shiloh, right? If it's even remotely close. So I just kind of take everything with a grain of salt and learn not to take stuff personally. I think one of my biggest faults or learnings as I was coming up, thinking I was better than what I was, what probably held me back 
from moving up quicker was when I would get feedback, I took everything personally when it wasn't a personal attack. And I did it so much to where I couldn't decipher whether it was something that was someone that was genuinely trying to help me get better or whether it was a personal thing to me thinking, damn, what? So, because the first thing I would do was, well, damn, he didn't tell him that, but I know he did ABCD on this play, but he told me. So once I got past that and just understood, you know, whether it was good feedback, great feedback, not social feedback, when I got the person out the way and just learned how to filter a lot of information out and keep what I wanted to keep, I think it helped me grow as a referee and not always want to respond to everything. Plus, uh, eliminating judgment of your partners and the feedback they're getting and not worrying or stressing that back to what you said, controlling what you can control, it becomes a lot clearer for you not having to kind of navigate all, all their feedback. You're just trying to figure Correct. yourself out. Correct. So, so I hope I answered your question, Adriana. Yeah, you did. I really appreciate that. You know, it's kind of hard sometimes because you don't know um, kind of when you're getting that feedback. It's like, man, like, because you can't please everybody without changing who you are and changing, you know, your mechanics. Like you say, get a little bit of swag on the court. Now you're on the court next game trying to figure out how to add swag into your game and it's distracting you from refereeing the game you know what i mean so that's that's good to hear you can filter a lot of that stuff out because like a lot of times for me personally i know when i get that feedback i don't take it personally but i do you know take it um and apply it or at least try to apply it you know what i mean so it's, yeah. it's good to hear so you can filter out some of that stuff and just kind of you know ref your game and eventually everything will work out so I yeah Nah, no problem. It's been, I tell you, it's been some drives back from games. I'd be like, how in the world? Like, what was he looking at? Like, that's what, that's what I'm thinking in my head. But if, so the what was he, you know, what was he looking at? Or how, how did he see that? That mindset now was different than it was four or five years ago. Now it was like, okay, let me look at the tape and see what I, what he saw. And like you said, just just move on. Take it with a grain of salt and move on. Just get better at the end of the day. I always find something to get better. Like, I got a supervisor say it all the time. I don't know a referee that's ref there. They haven't been a perfect refereed game yet, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. So always something to improve on. So that was a good question, though. I appreciate that because that made me self-reflect for a second. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Yep, no well, problem. And having that inner confidence to be able to, uh, you know, listen to people's feedback, you know, take what you like, disregard what you don't. But ultimately, you have to be your biggest critic and you have to have the self-awareness to know your strengths and your weaknesses more than anybody else does. Absolutely, my man. Well, this has been fun, Ernest. I feel like uh, we should jam for another couple hours. I feel like all we need is a few more questions for you, and you just keep going and going. Uh, what did we miss? <laughs> what did we miss? What else you want to say to the uh, audience of dedicated basketball officials that are listening in? Um, man, this, this game has a lot to offer, man. It's been fun. My journey has been unlike any other. I think one of the cool things about refereeing is the relationship that you build, right? Um, whether it's camp, whether it's partners doing games or whatnot. I mean, I got friends now who, you know, we are friends strictly because of basketball refereeing. Didn't know them before camp. Now they know my wife, met my kids, they're coming to New York, I'm going where they are, right? Um, you know, and it's cool. So I think that's the fun part about it. 
then on top of that, man, just think about it. I mean, where else in the world do you get to do stuff like refereeing basketball to get to make money and enjoy something that you really love doing? You know, for me, I look at refereeing as I could be having an awful day at work, Paul, but I know when I put them stripes on, I'm in control. Like the game can't go on without me and my partner. So no matter what that happened at work, I want to, you know, my boss and got on my nerves, you know, it, even fat, sometimes your wife and kids get in. I was like, man, like I can't even get a break. But when I put the stripes on, it's like, all right, it's my show now. Like I can control. That's why people at work don't understand how I can be so calm when stuff be going haywire. It's like, man, I just worked the game with 2,500 fans sitting right on top of me. They didn't call me everything but the child of God. You think I'm worried about why well, I didn't make a production number? I don't care about that. Like we'll figure it out. Like that's going to be my attitude. That's what that's what referee does for me. It calls me down at work because I know I got people calling me every. Ref, you suck. Uh, all this type of stuff. He's like, oh, okay. And I go to work and we don't make production numbers or we don't get something out on time shift. It's like, Ernest, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. We're going to get that. Like, I mean, that would be my attitude. Not that I don't care. It's like, we're going to get it, you know. Um, but, yeah, man, I don't know what else you missed, Paul. You know, I, I, ain't know, I ain't really know what to expect, honestly. But, I mean, this has been cool, man. It was, you know, and I told you. Um, oh, by the way, y'all, I do use – Paul's uh, crown ref whistle on all important games, by the way, uh, just in case. He got on me like two years ago, and I bought a few whistles, and I told him I'm going to use his whistle, so I do carry it in my pocket in every, to every game, just to let you know, Paul. So, How did I get – thank you. How did I get on you? What did I say to you? Did I confront you? I mean, what, what was said? Yeah, we were at camp, and you and you saw I had – I thought I had like a, a MEAC whistle or like some other whistle that wasn't crown ref, and you were like – Bro, when you go join the team, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm like, oh damn, my bad, bro. I didn't mean, to, I didn't mean no disrespect. Let me get my crown weapon, so I end up getting two. It was a little shocking, but I just want you to be your best self, so that's why I wanted you to 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 make sure you. Your, <laughs> so your percentage could go up three to seven percent. Hey, and look, if my percentage goes up three to seven, I hope my hopefully my game schedule goes up thirteen <laughs> to seventeen. Then we be then we be really be rolling. I'll I'll whittle whistle to work. <laughs> uh, this is great stuff man i appreciate you taking the time to come on and and share your expertise and your experience and speak with uh our group so um best of luck to you in the future and i hope to see you on the court soon yes sir man it's always a pleasure working with you man you know i support keep doing your thing man proud of you uh hopefully we do get we're gonna meet up at some point at camp time this time i'm sure but uh keep working everybody it's coming. Like I said, I don't know when the opportunity is going to be there for everyone, but once you get it, just make sure you take advantage. That's probably the best advice I can give. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You know, if Crown Refs has brought you any value in the past, I would really appreciate if you would consider joining us in our new private community for basketball officials on the Patreon and Discord apps. We have three different tiers of access and content available. We have Crown Refs Pro, Crown Refs Plus, and Crown Refs Mentor. This is uh, next level stuff. If you've been a fan of the content or the podcast for the past few years, or you've been a day one supporter, um, this is the place to be. This is where we have our 
weekly training sessions on Zoom. This is where we have our live monthly podcast with special guests. This is where we are interacting every day on private channels. So would really appreciate if you could join us in this community. We think you would flourish and definitely accelerate your skills as a basketball official. For more information, you can click the link in this episode description. Have a great day.